Good morning. October is here. The beauty of fall is all around us. And I'm so glad that you've come to church this morning. If you are able, I invite you to stand and join us as we sing together. Come, now is the time to worship. worship this morning is found in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you are our shepherd and you provide for us. As we gather this morning, I pray that you would quiet our hearts of the worries and stresses that weigh us down and help us to find peace that can only become, that only comes from you. Amen.
that despite the turmoil that goes on around us, that that inner peace can still be there for you. Renewed, flowing from the grave. 
worship team goes back to their seats, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, which is found in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. John 20, verses 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Good morning. Let's bow together and dismiss the little ones to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each and every one of the little ones in our congregation. We pray now as they go to Children's Church, they will be met with a lesson that will stay with them all of their lives. We pray also for the teachers. We pray, give them the words to say and be with them. We put this before you. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. If you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to pull them on out. And right there at the top, we see the thing I am... The thing I am most excited for on here, uh, today at 3 p.m., there is going to be a care home service. It has been a good number of years since the last one, I think 2019, and so to be back there giving a service on a Sunday, I am excited about that. You are all invited. I think you'll need to wear masks to go in, but uh, 3 p.m. today at the care home. I'd encourage you to come. I am excited for that. Uh, next, Wednesday, 7 p.m., prayer meeting at the church. Uh, and then, is there uh, youth to this week? Thursday night, 7.30, at Beth and Dawson's house, there is uh, the youth Bible study meeting for girls, so make sure to keep that in mind if you have anyone in mind that's that age. Uh, next, next Sunday, Sunday school at 9.45 and 10.45, the worship service with communion. Skipping down, uh, there is something about the Thanksgiving Supper. There we go. October 23rd at 5.30, there is going to be the Thanksgiving Supper at the church. Uh, there is a service opportunity to sign up at the foyer. If you are the type of person that knows that they are very good at cooking a turkey, then we would love to have you sign down on there. 
Also, if you are the sort of person that happens to own a smoker that would be, say, the right size to fit a turkey, I would encourage you to sign your name down on there as well. That would be wonderful. Uh, and as far as this offering opportunity goes, I'm actually going to ask Ron up to uh, share a little bit more about that. All right. Good morning. Um, thank you. So far back, always looking for things to see what's working and what's not. And with the exception of a few, I think maybe next Sunday we'll remove the front three rows of chairs and see how that goes. So plenty of seating up front. I'm just as guilty as the rest of you. Um, okay, I'll speak to the refugee fund. You're probably wondering what uh, particular needs there are there or, or where things are at as far as the fund goes and why we're raising more money. Um, so a little history going back to 2015. We had decided as a congregation to sponsor and our budget at that time was set at 22,000. Now that was seven years ago. Due to inflation, as most budgets go, it's hard to stay on budget. So, um, so a combination of inflation and of legal fees that were incurred, um, which was not expected and, and beyond our control, and also the rental of the, the place where Bilal and Fatima were, are, are now. We rented uh, earlier. Then and then it was delayed again for them to come. So there is additional expenses for that rental. So we are quite a bit over budget and to the point where we are probably, or we are about $6,500 short on the refugee fund. At the current time, we're still okay, but as of the end of December, we will need to prop up that fund. So specifically for Thanksgiving, offering next Sunday, um, we will have that go towards the refugee fund to try and, and um, make up some of the losses there. Yeah, so if, when you donate, um, please, if, if you, okay, let me put it this way, unless you say specifically that it's for the general fund, the offering will automatically go towards the refugee fund, specifically for the refugee fund. So whether it's cash or check or online, please uh, make a note that um, if, if you want it to go to the general fund for next Sunday, specifically say that. Otherwise, it will go to the refugee fund. Hope that's clear. Thank you. All right. Then moving down in the bulletin, uh, volunteers still needed for the Kids Connect. That is the uh, kids ministry that we're starting up on October 26th. Contact either Christine Murray or Annette Vancouvering if you want to volunteer. Uh, and again, I've been asking every single Sunday, uh, I would ask you all to put it on the list of things that you pray for. Pray for that ministry. Pray that it is a success. Pray that God speaks through it. And if you're interested in becoming a member, then you can talk to me. I would love to have that conversation with you. Any more announcements? All right. Then going to items for prayer. Uh, the first one on there is good weather for the evangelistic concert that was being held in Paraguay. 5,000 people came to that concert even though it was raining. So that is definitely God at work there. So we want to pray that the impact of that concert continues on uh, as well in the lives of the people that attended. Uh, we want to continue to pray for the family of Gwen Mangat, 
Uh, her funeral was yesterday. It was a good funeral, but we want to continue to pray uh, for the family. And also for Lorena Dick, who sadly is moving tomorrow all the way to Steinbach. And so we want to pray that the move goes well and also that she has a good last Sunday with us today. So we want to pray for that as well. But uh, if anybody is interested in helping uh, with that move, also come talk to me. We can always use more people, more hands as well. All right. So please bow with me now in a time of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning first and foremost absolutely in awe of how you have moved through our brothers and sisters down in Paraguay. With that concert that they put on, even though there was rain, even though there was fear of just mud everywhere, 5,000 people show up. God, we pray that the impact of that night is far-reaching. God, we pray that the impact of that night bolsters the church. We pray that the impact of that night sticks with the people of Paraguay through the years to come. We say thank you again that you have worked in that way. You've worked through those organizers. You've worked through the people that played. God, we say thank you for that. God, as we continue to pray also, we want to pray for the family of Gwen Mangat. God, we want to continue to pray that you be with and you comfort her family during this time. We thank you that it was a good day for a funeral. We're thanking you that it didn't rain in the end. We're thanking you for the people that came. But we pray continue to be with the family during the time over to come and her friends as well. God, that we put before you. And Lord, we also want to pray for Lorena. We thank you that she has found a new home in Steinbeck. I guess a new old home. Thank you that she can go back to be with family as well. And we pray that the move goes well. We pray that all things just fall into place. We also pray that when she gets there, she settles in with family and friends as quickly as can be. We thank you for the time that we have had to spend with her. We thank you for the conversations we have. And God, we pray as she goes that we stay in touch. Lord, all of these things we put before you this morning and we place them at your feet. We pray in your name, amen. All right. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, don't need to spend too much time there, but there is a passage that I think that we've all heard a number of times before. The fruit of the Spirit, they are joy, Sorry, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This passage, it talks about the hallmarks of what your life will look like and what your actions will come to bear with the Holy Spirit hard at work in you, leading you to follow Christ. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This past summer, this passage was the theme at LDP at Valley View, their leadership development camp. 
And like in years past, I, along with a number of the other pastors from the area, we, we were fortunate enough to be asked to speak to these future Christian leaders that were there. And each of us were given a different one of the, the fruits of the Spirit to explore while we were talking, given an hour to go through what the Bible says about these things. Not nearly enough, but the fruit I was given was faithfulness. And wouldn't you know, the more I dug into what the Bible has to say about faithfulness, the more I was absolutely blown away. We're talking long-standing beliefs that I had were just flipped on their head. Things I thought I knew. And so this is what we're going to be talking about for the next couple weeks. What it means as a Christian to live in faithfulness. What it means as a Christian to have this fruit of the Spirit evident in what you do. And to kick it off, today we are going to start with the basics. Today we are going to start by defining our terms. <laughs> and that might sound terribly boring, but you'll see there's more to that than you'd think. And so, to start that off, let me begin by asking you all a simple question. What does it mean as a Christian to say that I have faith? What does it mean for me as a Christian to say that I have faith? I'm not asking here what I have faith in, who I have faith in, but instead just asking as a Christian, what is faith? I'll just give you a couple minutes to moments to, to stew on that one. And assuming, of course, that you haven't read the church blog in the last while, because I answered that one pretty much verbatim a couple weeks back, which reminds me, if you ever want to write for the church blog, just get in touch with me. I would, I would love to walk you through that. It would be great to hear anyone's voice, no matter your age or skill level. It's a good time. It's a fun time. You can talk to Jeff. Talk to me. We enjoy doing it. But as to that stewing, that's a couple moments now, what does it mean for a Christian to have faith? You all have something in your mind? All right. If I was a betting man as to what that answer is that you have in your mind, I'm going to hazard to guess that your answer to that question is something along the lines of to have faith means to believe without proof. It means to believe without seeing. I'm particularly confident that that's the answer in a bunch of your minds because that's the answer that all the LDPers gave. And it's also because nigh on 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago, we read a passage where that exact answer comes from. John 20, 19 to 30. John 20, 19 to 30. If you have your Bibles on you. There we are met with one of the gospel accounts of when Jesus met his disciples after the resurrection. In John's telling this meeting, it takes place over a period of time, and in it we are met with this strong focus on one particular of the disciples. Good old, now raise your hand if you've ever heard him called this, good old Doubting Thomas. Oh yeah, Doubting Thomas. 
That's a great thing for one of the disciples of the Lord to be known for 2,000 years later. Doubting Thomas. And as we see, the passage begins with Jesus appearing first before all of his disciples, save for Tommy. And they were overjoyed to see their risen Lord again. That's very understandable. As only a few days before this, they'd witnessed Christ captured. They'd witnessed the passion. They'd witnessed him hung on that cross over the course of one really bad day. And so now, seeing him again, they're just so overjoyed that once Christ has gone elsewhere, they just run. They tell that good news to everyone they come across, and they seem to be clambering over one one another just to tell Thomas, the one of their number who wasn't there to begin with, just what it is that they had witnessed. But Thomas, doubting Thomas, after hearing them out, he was still skeptical. Even though all 10 of the other disciples were telling him some version of the same thing, that we have seen him, we have seen Jesus. But Thomas would not be swayed, which I think is somewhat understandable. I mean, the disciples were talking about someone raising himself from the dead. That, by definition, is pretty hard to believe. I mean, sure, around Thomas, Jesus had said before that he would be raised from the dead after three days on more than one occasion. You can find it in John chapter 2 and 10 and 16. And also around Thomas, Jesus had raised one. So there's Lazarus, there's the girl that is the centurion's daughter, at least I think more than two people from the dead over the past few years. But to raise himself, especially given the way that Jesus died. Simply no way. So in Thomas's eyes, these ten apostles who very clearly all had the same story about meeting the same person that they had all spent almost the entirety of their lives for the last two years around to the point that they are called his disciples. And I can't help but think that if you were called someone's disciple, you know what someone looks like. Obviously, they had to be all mistaken. Nothing else made sense. So in response to the disciples, Thomas speaks, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my fingers where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And immediately we reading this know that there's going to be a very satisfying moment coming up in the text where he gets all of the egg on his face because we've already seen him. And a week later, that time, it arrives. Thomas is hanging out at his place, and who should suddenly appear but our Lord in the flesh? To which, funny enough, apparently Jesus was eavesdropping when Thomas said that whole thing about the nails and aside, because he repeats it back to him now, word for word. Imagine how awkward that would be. To which we then get that line that we have used to come to define how we have understood what it means to have faith as a Christian all our lives. I very much so thought this is what it meant to have faith. Verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed, but Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Hence the old adage about what faith is. Faith is belief without seeing. Faith is belief without any proof that it's true. And if we leave it there, then that reading of this passage, it seems fine. After all, we Christians believe in a God who is all-powerful. We believe in a God who knows all things. We believe in a God who is all places. And yet also, we believe in a God who is all of those things, and yet somehow we cannot see him in front of us as we see one another. So of course this must be what it means to have faith. Of course this must be how Jesus' words are meant to be understood. Except, and here I'm sure you were waiting for me to say that, except, there's one teeny, teensy, tiny little problem with understanding Christian faith like that. And that problem is that literally the entirety of Christian history and the Bible, including this very passage, disagrees with what that understanding of faith is in its entirety. That's a bit of a problem. What do you see when you read through your Bibles about how God interacts with people, interacts with his world? Let's say start Genesis 2. In the Garden of Eden, what do you see with how God deals with people? See Adam and Eve and God walking together through paradise, doing the hard work of naming things. What do you see then with how God relates to Abraham a couple of chapters later? I mean, they literally have lunch together on one occasion. What about with Moses or David? At times, those guys are just talking like old pals. What do you see when you look at Jesus? You see God made human in a way that we can all understand who God is in the most relatable of ways. What do you see when the apostles, Peter, Paul, even old Thomas, have the Holy Spirit poured out upon them just a few, I think even a month after this happens? You see God literally in each and every one of them. And then in his other followers, including us, even to this day. What do you see throughout the history of the church after that? In all its countless first-hand accounts of the miraculous opening the eyes of new believers to the divine in ways that they simply, there was no way that would be possible unless God was at work. What do you see every time we have communion on the second Sunday of the month? What do you see every time a baptism is performed? What do you see in all these things? You see God. To the Christian, to us, far from faith being about belief without proof, 
we know that our history is one absolutely overflowing with proof that our Lord is real. We believe far from there being no proof of God, the problem we have is exactly the opposite thing. We have so much proof of God that it's a lot harder to sort out what's legitimate from what isn't. To be Christian, to us, from the moment of our conversions when our eyes are opened to the fact that God's outstretched hand is right there in front of us by the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, from that moment and even before it, our faith is belief with proof. But if that's true, then what about this passage? Doesn't Jesus say, blessed are those who believe without seeing? And that he does. And in saying that, he is even talking about what it means to have faith in God even. But to understand what Jesus means in those words, we can't just take this passage and this verse on their own. Instead, we have to take the fact that they are from the book of John, not just from the book of John. They are right at the culmination of the book of John, right at the end. And when we do that, we get a very different picture. Because when we look at the book of John over its entirety, and we ask, who is doubting Thomas then? Over the course of the book of John, you learn more about him and what the disciples have been up to. Is Thomas someone new here to his relationship with Christ? No. He's a disciple. He is someone who has been in Jesus' inner circle for years at this point. Is Thomas someone who has never seen God in the flesh before, has never witnessed God doing the miraculous? Again, no. He has seen the multitudes fed with just a handful of loaves and some fish. He has seen lepers and those physically handicapped healed by the power of our Lord. He has seen the teachings of Jesus proven to be trustworthy, proven to be scriptural, and the epitome of what truth can be day in and day out, and he has seen that for years. He is someone who has seen the dead literally rise again. He is someone who has seen his Lord tell him and his friends that he was soon to die and that he would rise again in just a few days' time. And Thomas was also someone from the beginning of this passage today who saw his fellow disciples, his trusted friends, tell him that Jesus had done exactly what he said he was going to do and had proven himself capable of doing time and time before. And it's after all this that still Thomas doubted the Lord. The takeaway of this passage is not that having faith means believing what you cannot see believing without proof. After all, Thomas had all the proof in the world. He had seen it all. No, the takeaway of this passage is instead that having faith means taking God's word that something he says is going to happen will happen. 
without first needing to see that it does. This is what Thomas's story teaches us about what it means to have faith. Having faith as a Christian means to take God at his word. Having faith as a Christian means that you trust what God knows, that he knows what he's doing. Having faith as a Christian means that you rely on God to do as he has told us he will do throughout Scripture, and he has shown us that he will do what he says he will do throughout all of church's history and throughout all of our lives as well. This is what it means for a Christian to have faith. It means that you, you trust and you rely on the God who has proven to us countless times before that he is someone that is worth trusting and worth relying on. I'm going to repeat that. It's that important. I never repeat things, so it's that important. What it means for a Christian to have faith is that you trust and rely on the God who has proven to us countless times before that he is someone worth trusting and relying on. And blessed are you if you can do that without having to see additional proof on top of everything you already know. This and nothing less is what it means for a Christian to have faith in our God. And so, with that all laid down, our terms all defined, what faith means to the Christian, to us, and you might be wondering then, what is faithfulness? What is the actual fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be exploring for the next couple of weeks to come? What does that mean? And thankfully, answering that question isn't a deep theological problem to solve. It's actually a, a third-grade grammatical thing. Faithfulness is just the verb of faith. That means faithfulness is faith in action. Faithfulness is living faith out. So faith is to live in trust and reliance on God. What faithfulness is, is the living of that trust and reliance out. That is what living in faithfulness is to mean to us Christians. That is that what this fruit of the Spirit is all about. It is about coming to live more each and every day in the trust and reliance on the God who has proven himself worth trusting and relying on. But as to what that actually looks like, well, not to spoil it, but that's what the rest of our series is going to be about. I hope you take it all in. It will be worth your while. But as for a takeaway just for today, I will leave you with this. I found myself pondering about death quite a bit lately. That might sound pretty macabre, but as some of you know, my brother's cancer has come back lately, which is hard to take. My congenital heart issues have swung the complete gambit from problematic to thankfully less so over the course of this year, which is God at work right there. And there have been a fair amount of funerals over the past year, including the one yesterday. So I ask you, how does the shift in the understanding of what faith is, 
impact how you understand what it means to have assurance of your own salvation. For me to understand the basis of my faith as being about believing in a God without proof, well, that renders my assurance of my own salvation as terrifyingly precarious. Am I saved? Well, if I can't even know that God is a thing, then that's a pretty hard question to wrestle with. But if you take this approach instead, where we recognize that God has proven himself countless times, more than can ever even be tallied up throughout the Bible and history, but even in my own life, And instead, what my faith is to me is that simple question of will I take the word of the one that has proven his word to be gold and has said, if I follow him, I will know everlasting life. John 3.16. Well, I have come to think that that change right there does an awful lot more to have assurance, doesn't it? And so as you go home this week, here is my challenge for you. Think about this simple change in definition as to what it means to have faith. That faith is not about believing without proof, but it's instead about trusting and relying on a God who has proven himself worth trusting and relying upon countless times before. Think of that change in definition in your own life. And then ask yourself, how does that change in the way that I think of my faith? How does that impact other parts of my life? How does that impact my walk with God as well? As I guarantee you from experience now, the more you reflect on exactly that question, the more you will see that it changes almost everything. Amen. If you are able, I invite you to stand and join with us in singing Great is Thy Faithfulness. We'll sing the first two verses and pause for the benediction, and then we'll sing the last verse. Thank you.
And once again, three o'clock this afternoon at the care home. Three o'clock at the care home, we will be back in there to have a service after many years apart. So I'd encourage you all to come. Also, if you want to help moving, uh, come and talk to me. But our benediction is from the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show you his face and bring you peace. Go now and serve our God. Party.